Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secret Birds HQ podcast. And this is podcast episode number 67. And today we have a very special guest joining us from Switzerland. And her name is Anila Hussein. Hello, Anila. Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. How are you? Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting. Okay. And Anila is based in Geneva, right? Yes. Okay. So hello to you in Geneva. Okay. So Anila and her sister, who is Shanila Ali, are both the, co- the co-founders of the business. So Anila, you're the CEO and your sister is the fashion designer and co-founder. So I'm mm-hmm. going to tell uh, the audience a little bit about you. So driven by a strong business mindset since childhood, Anila, a national level gymnast, was raised in Karachi. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's Pakistan, okay? The cosmopolitan fashion hub of the East. Her zest for knowledge led her to become a Montessori international educator settled in Geneva, Switzerland. Alongside her teaching role as a Montessori educator, Anila's formative years were spent pursuing fashion styling consultancy in Switzerland. Her presence in the world of fashion and glamour in Europe led to Shenan's. Did I say that correctly? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Becoming an international brand. Anila currently oversees the showcasing of Shenan's couture collection in Europe across fashion events and platforms such as the Montreux Motor Switzerland London Fashion Week, House of Icons, Swiss Fashion Week, Manor, Vivay, and Globus Geneva. Anila is committed to emancipation and empowerment of impoverished women by fostering their creativity to create sustainable livelihoods for themselves and their families. Her dream is to spread the message of gender equality through entrepreneurship and education across the world. So Anila and her sister have co-founded together this fashion business called Shenan's, okay? And Chanelli, Chanelli, unfortunately, is not with us today. She's, she's in Pakistan at the moment, right? Yeah, she's traveling to Turkey for the moment, but she'll be back uh, on the train. Oh, yeah. Turkey. I love Turkey, my favorite country. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your sister. She's a born artist. Uh, she grew up expressing her creative freedom through her paintings. Uh, passionate about bringing designs to life, she went on to win the coveted gold medal for her bachelor's degree in fashion in 1999, from Ikra University, Pakistan, and the star of Asian Institute of Fashion Design and started her career as a, dyna- as a dynamic fashion designer. Inspired by the intricate patterns and designs of her Eastern heritage, Shanela's vision is about creating an eclectic fashion couture reflecting bold color palettes and artistic patterns on urban attire. Shanela's collections have been exhibited again, as I mentioned before, across Fashion Week and all of these amazing platforms. And with Shanann's fast becoming a global brand, Shanela is passionate about incorporating social aspects to her design work. She focuses on empowering women by creating livelihoods for them and also by generating funds to educate their children. Her creativity carries a strong message of women's emancipation. Her struggles serve as an inspiration to those who dare to dream. She conducts various workshops internationally, emphasizing the strong connection between the world of fashion, fashion couture, and women's emancipation. So, Shanelli Shanelli is with us in spirit, okay? Shanila, sorry. She's with us in spirit. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you very much. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. And what people don't know is that you've got a fashion, you're building this powerful fashion brand, but there's a lot of depth to it. And we're going to get into that topic a bit later on. But welcome again. And tell us a little bit about you and your sister and sort of your both of your stories and how you arrived at where you are today. 
It'll be yes. Thank you so much, Joanne, and I'm, I'm honored to be here and speaking to, uh, I mean, lots of women through this podcast. And I will just let you tell you a little bit more about who I am, what I'm doing, and why I am doing what I'm doing. So this is basically, I'm going to take you as a story of a young girl who was eight years old, and she was living in Karachi, uh, going to a very nice school, I mean, very uh, top-level school in Karachi. And um, my parents were not very educated, but they had a vision to give education especially to girls because they knew, they knew at that time uh, that giving an education uh, possibility to a girl means possibility to raise a whole community. And having that vision, uh, I knew that it was very hard for them to give us this possibility to go into a very expensive school um, and learning um, each and every day. And, they, whatever they have done so far made us stand off for who we are and whatever we are doing. So this girl used to come out of school every day and looking at the underprivileged girls, especially boys and girls, of course, both of them standing outside and looking at this girl um, wearing uniforms, school bags and having a, a, a nice attire every day. This girl was very much uh, attached to her feelings that why aren't they going to school and why aren't they doing something uh, like what m this girl is doing? And who that girl was is me, of course, Anila. Mm -hmm. And um, um, I used to always think that I want to do something for them when I'm going to grow up. A girl of eight years old can't do as much because she, did, she doesn't know how to do it and what she would be doing it actually. But then years went by and a lot happened in between. I finished my school year in two, uh, 1998 and I went to college, which was one of the best college in, uh, in Pakistan, in Karachi, of course, where I grew up, which is in the south of Pakistan. And I remember that my parents were, especially my father, wasn't very happy of me going into a co-ed college because uh, I had to work with boys. And for them, uh, security was most important. And as you know, it's a male-dominant society, which is now changing more and more. But uh, he was very... Um, um, one second, if I may interject, because what you just said is so yeah. important. And I want you to explain that a little, because you know our audience are all from developing economies, right? But Absolutely. there may be some who don't necessarily understand the nuance or the culture or what is or what Pakistani culture and males and so on and so forth. So yes. can you give us a very quick... Um, as quickly as I mean could possibly yeah. be done in something like this of, of the culture in Pakistan we know it's a conservative society it's, pre it's mm -hmm. a predominantly, predominantly Islamic I mean there are some minority yeah. religions but it's yeah. very conservative it's very male dominated and tell us a little bit about women and men and sort of the, the construction of the society so people can get an idea of, of the kind of things you're talking about and what you would have had to do well, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very, very important to raise that point uh, because I grew up there. I have an older sister and two younger brothers and I grew up in a, in a very large family of like 20 people living in one house. And I remember that uh, my grandmother and uh, well, my grandfather, of course, they used to teach us uh, like what is good, what is bad, because living in a big family, you learn a lot of uh, uh, goods and bads. But at the same time, I... 
was this a joint family you lived in or was it just yes in a joint family of 20 people, uncles aunts cousins grandparents and everyone and we were sharing actually just one room uh, with our own parents even though we were have living in a big house so having the concept of living in a separate room by ourselves was was not existing in our time and we didn't have that possibility so all brothers and sister we were lying on the floor and on the mattresses and trust me we were so so happy we didn't even know what is a concept of having our own our own bed our own room and um, uh, it, that made us so close to each other the bond that we share amongst uh, all the siblings uh, touchwood is so so close that we can feel uh, uh, each other from far, from, from different continents even. Because I think it was not because we didn't have the possibility. I knew that my father, he, he's an architect and he's an engineer. He has um, done a lot for the people and he started to earn when he was even 11 years old. That's why he couldn't finish his own studies because he had to support his long family. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when we were growing up and um, uh, we were living in the same house, in the same room and everything, the life is was so happy in a way that um, everything was like happy-go-lucky. We were studying, we were having good life, we were eating, but at the same time, we knew the, the, the environment around us was not as pleasing for a girl to grow up in that society. The reason why is, um, the, uh, uh, that was one of the reasons my father and my mother, they worked day and night to put us into that school because that school uh, opened up our horizons of being a girl, of who we are, and wh- what do we do in our life uh, later on. So they prepared us uh, from the very beginning because my mother grew up in a family of six sisters only, and she didn't have the possibility to study further. She didn't have the possibility to continue her studies after getting married. Even though my father had uh, this vision of educating girls, but my own mother, because she was helping so many, uh, not helping, I would say, doing the house chores of the uh, everyday life. She didn't have the possibility that I want to do something for myself, for my life. But um, she, she, um, she made it possible for the girls. And she told us that you're not going to come in the kitchen and you cook. You are not going to clean anything. I'm going to do all the work. You have to just study. And we didn't understand. We used to cry at that time. No, we don't want to work. We don't want to learn. We want to do work. And and, and I remember as a young child, I used to go back and forth, uh, uh, 200, uh, 500 meters getting grocery and, and all those things. And that made each and everything made me stronger every day. But the culture... Each turn I used to take going back and forth, uh, the men who used to be, uh, I mean, the, the store hawkers, or I would say the, the, just on the road, they used to scan me inside out, being a girl, even though I was wearing full clothes, but I do not, I never covered my head as my sister, she does, but she has just started doing it um, um, I would say four or five years ago, not before, because we were, we were always raised in a in a family of like, you're free to do whatever you want. If you have, if you know your limits Mm -hmm. and, um, my, I, my brothers are younger than me, but, uh, and of course, we didn't feel the pressure from our own parents that you need to do this and you need to cover yourself. And so I never wore a dubatta, which is called a, st- a long stool, to cover myself. So I always used to walk upright and straight because that's what my mom said that, you know, that will give you confidence of as a girl who you are. And I knew those men were looking at me every day when I was running back and forth uh, from the age of eight up till the age of like uh, when I got married. 
I used to do grocery for my parents and and all the things. And um, so that's one thing from from the I would say the outside street point of view. But even going to the the school that I did was only for girls. But when I went to the college thing. It's, it was really difficult for me to understand the mindset of, of boys. What do they want from me? And why are they looking at me like that? Uh, why? And I was questioning my mother. Why aren't the boys working at home? And why are, why are only we working as girls all the time? And I was trying to find answers myself. And my parents, uh, of course, you know, they, they, they were equal with all, uh, all of us, like boys or, or girls. Both were the same for them. And still now they have no discrimination between them. In fact, when I was born, I was the second daughter of, uh, of the family. And, uh, and uh, there were people who said, oh, again, a girl. And uh, I'm, I'm so, yeah. And, yes, exactly. A girl is always a burden of the family. So they used to think, but my father, he was so strong. And he, and he like, he, uh, because when, when a girl or a child is born in a family, they they buy uh, you know the sweet big packets of sweets uh, which is called mitai in Pakistan which is like uh, gold like round things and he distributed in the whole family like more than two thousand people because he showed the the love for a child for a girl the love for like a daughter being born in the family because he said now it's a blessing in my family so for the first daughter as well as the second daughter and as you can see with my sister uh, on my sister's face she was very very fair than me I was very dark and being a dark girl in the family now you cannot re recognize because I worked a lot uh, on like uh, saying that oh why am I so black why am I so I would not say black myself I would say more like a wheatish color because at that time in my culture a girl born with a with a darker skin being taken as like ah oh, first of all the burden who is going to marry her and uh, what, what are what, pardon Colorism. We know this is colorism. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But this thing I realized when I came here in Switzerland, the beauty of diversity, and uh, uh, like I said, I have I have African friends, I have uh, European friends, I have Asian friends, and this is what the beauty and diversity is, and uh, that made me realize. But when I was in Pakistan, I didn't realize why my color is so dark and people are not liking me, even. Uh, I knew the, that my, my kind of, uh, I felt the discrimination in my, in my, with my grandparents as well, my father's side. They used to love more my daughter, my sister than me. But I, um, you know, I think the, the unconditional love that we received from our parents made us so strong saying that you are a girl, you are who you are and be proud in your own skin. And thinking about that, I said, okay, fine. I'm going to show it to the world who I am in my own self. Unconsciously, I was working. I was so, um, so fast, uh, or I would say more stronger, doing all the, uh, the sports, activities, indoor, outdoor. I won trophies, medals, and none of the other family member or my siblings uh, were at that level. So that gave me a huge confidence that even though, and I was becoming even more darker in my skin because I was working all the time outside and you know in the under the sun and my mother was a bit worried that you know uh, just don't play too much because she didn't say that you become even more darker in your skin but she said that you have to take care of yourself and all, and all those things 
And, and I said, no, mom, I'm, I'm, I want to do it. So I, after school, I used to go to the grounds for three hours doing training, training, training. And then after I, afterwards, I went to the tuitions and, uh, to, to uh, finish my homeworks. And then I used to come every day around 7 p.m. Uh, at home. Immediately, we rain for the madrasa because there is a, for the Quranic reading, we go to, um, to a madrasa for one hour of, uh, of learning Quran because we belong to a Muslim family. But then at uh, the same time, uh, my mother said that the hard work you're putting now is going to pay off later. And now we realize that it's true how much uh, as parents we are giving more and more of freedom to our children, of course, because we're living in a different digital world now. But at the same time, I think the firmness and everything uh, is so important. So maybe we can, we can come to that a little bit later if we have time. But uh, I mean, all I'm not talking about the pardon. This is you giving us some context of, of, of how you grew up and, and sort of the culture and the background. And yes, you were in a conservative society, but it sounds like your parents were, I would say, a bit progressive. Uh, they, wanted yeah. a bit, they wanted a bit more for you. So then can you then jump back into the story of then you and your sister coming together and creating Shinaz? Yes. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, we, I get swear away with all the stories I have in my childhood. <laughs> no, but that's not pulling me back again. So let me start with that. Uh, what we did is like I got married at the age of, um, I would say, 21. So in 2002, I came to Switzerland and with my husband. He, he came to Pakistan. We met there. We got married. And I came here. And then I, he, he, he encouraged me to continue my studies because he knew that I, I had something in my mind about doing something for children. And he said, there is a school close by. Why don't you go and join them? It's a Montessori school. And I didn't have any diploma at that time. But I said, okay, fine, I'll try. So I worked. I started working there, and when I was working here, uh, um, uh, I'll just tell you a little bit, as, because sometimes we think as a developing country or in a country where women have more freedom, still sometimes there are women who don't know their own rights. Okay. And yeah, I came from Pakistan, and uh, for me, uh, at that time, I was earning like $300 a month, which is like a salary of not even uh, a maid in Switzerland. So um, actually, uh, a proper salary is like around $5,000. But then I said, hmm, uh, I, I didn't know, and I was so happy. I said, oh, I'm going to do so much in $3,000, $300. And I was jumping up and down, and my husband said, oh, I'm going to let her uh, learn by herself what uh, you know, tough things are. Um, at the same time, I continued working with her for four years, and I, I, I did one of my Montessori diplomas here. After doing that, I came to know it's not recognized in Switzerland. Okay, so I had my two children already at that time, and then I said, I'm not going to give up. I'm, I'm going to go again for another one. Then in 2010, I applied for another uh, recognized uh, association, Montessori International, uh, globally uh, uh, from Amsterdam. And I was doing it in Geneva uh, with a lot of other students, being a mom of three children already. By the time I was uh, doing that, um, uh, of course, my husband was very, very sick and he became, uh, he went into depression and it was a very, very tough period for us as family and as a wife. Uh, but he told me one thing, not to be Pardon? No, I'm listening. Yeah. No, so I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes as, as women living alone, uh, in, even in this culture, we think uh, like uh, either we give up or we say it's so hard, we don't have anyone to, who can help us and all. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but still, uh, you know, I think it was support of my, uh, of my, my husband as well. He said, you continue your studies. And then finally in 2011, I got my diploma again. 
And in doing so, I said, well, I'm working in a school already. And uh, what about something that my sister had when she was uh, not even married and we were talking about things to do together? So I used to have conversation with her every day because we we were on uh, on Skype in in, in that days like uh, WhatsApp didn't <laughs> didn't uh, um, uh, didn't prevail at that time. But at the same, um, so what we did is like I called my sister a couple of times. I said, "Oh, I'm coming to Karachi, and you know we're going to have some fun together." And just having that idea of taking my son by uh, all alone, we were sitting in one of the in one of the, not one of the, it was the only living room of the house. And I was talking to my sister and said, well, what, what do you want from your life? And uh, just, just by laughing at each other, it popped up. And she said, um, well, I don't know. I'm just, you know, because she's married into a very rich kind of rich family of Pakistan, uh, Pan brothers, and they are uh, very much into the um, uh, heavy machinery and all those things. Uh, but she said that what am I going to do myself if something happens to my husband? And uh, so our conversation was a little bit like that. It swayed away from there. And um, she said, I'm going to do something. I don't know what. But actually, the sense of fashion and the love for fashion was in us since a very early age because my mother used to stitch our clothes herself and she, she knew how to cut and stitch and everything. And we used to do embroidery on our own clothes. So that was in us, in our blood from the very beginning. But she couldn't become a designer herself. So she instilled the sense of fashion in us, uh, saying that uh, whatever we used to wear, people used to like. So that thing we took from her and she said, okay, I want to do uh, a fashion design course at that time it was very uh, difficult because even getting married being a wife and a mother uh, she said how I'm gonna do it what can I, what am I going to say to my in-laws and everything so she had a little support of her husband of course um, who is uh, who's, who's still supporting her very much and her children as well she has two children aged uh, 18 and uh, 12 a boy and a girl and uh, she secretly joined a fashion school in Karachi and Secretly is the key word here, secretly. <laughs> secretly, yes, secretly, because she knew that she won't be allowed to do it. And she, 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 she told her family that I'm going out with friends and just for tea and all. And actually, she, so we helped each other morally and financially. And then she, um, she enrolled herself uh, for, uh, for this designing course. And after one year later, by slowly by slowly, her family came to know. Then, of course, they knew they can't do anything because she was becoming more confident and she knew that she wants to do that. But at the same time, there were like barriers and challenges and, and bows and arrows from every hook and uh, from every corner. And she, at a certain point, she was like pulling herself down and then pulling herself up. And there were so many ups and downs in her life that I cannot even say in a few minutes. But at the same time, we just pulled each other up. We said, no, you have to do it. You have to do it. And you will be making it. And you'll see one day. So in 2014, she became a gold medalist fashion designer from Karachi, being a mom, a wife, a woman uh, living in Karachi. And that was an honor for her to be a gold medalist among 14, uh, 400 students of uh, the Fashion um, Design Council. Mm -hmm. And then uh, she, after doing that, we got together again. And we said, now you have something. And I have something that I have done. Our, your passion is now fashion. My passion is education. What shall we do together? So we created a fashion brand named Shenanz, S-H-E-N-A-N-N-Z. So Shenanz is basically the fusion of two names, Shanila and Anila. And it's a fusion of two mindsets, uh, one from education, one from fashion, and, and 
fusion of East and West. She lives in Karachi in Pakistan, and I live in, in Switzerland, which is in the Western world, and, and how to bridge the gap between the two continents, to mindsets, to, uh, to passions, and to create something which is unique, which is uh, of values, something which would be so uh, sustainable in a future run, not only for ourselves, but for all those who will be involved uh, in our uh, little, I would say, a, a project or, or a startup or uh, whatever we can say uh, for, for the moment. But um, at that time, we didn't know what we are going to do, how we're going to do, but we knew why we're going to do that. And that why is still... Uh, you know, um, lighting up the fire every day within us, um, Shanila and I, we, we talk to each other every day. And we discuss about all the challenges we are going through because she is going through so many challenges that maybe on the on, on this podcast I cannot explain everything uh, because of course she still lives in the family and it would be difficult for her to continue if I I would uh, but if anyone is interested I'm I'm open to uh, to share all those things to give an inspiration to all those women who come from an uh, from a, an underdeveloping country or also uh, even the developing in the country where I live in right now there are many women who who do not know how to do it and who don't have the possibility even though they they, they earn um, I mean there's so many circumstances that all the women go through around them uh, living in whatsoever country they are because I think it's 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 a mindset of us as well thinking that oh a woman from an underdeveloping country is going through challenges but actually it's also from the from the outside world that I see here is also the same because I'm helping some of everywhere are going through challenges rich country, poor country middle income income everywhere it, it where you're born there's always challenges yeah absolutely i agree with you and that's what we need to break uh the barriers of you know women coming from east or west or south or north wherever we as women have so much of capacity and creativity within us how we can collaborate with each other because that's what we want to create the model of the business model is based on collaboration rather than competition that i uh, i'm a fashion designer i want to compete with another designer and everything what we are trying to really create is how to collaborate with other people and, and to see what uh, meaningful work we can do connecting with mindful people around the globe. And uh, trust me, I've, con I've connected with so many, um, I would say, beautiful soul women um, uh, through Women Economic Forum, through Ovid, through different platforms. But at the same time, we know what we are working on and why are we doing what we are doing. So that why in us is always there that keeps us moving every day in the morning. Mm. Um, so coming up, uh, yeah. Let's jump into the topic then, because what we're going to, um, it was really important that um, I think the audience understand the background and the culture you're coming from and your sister's struggles and everything because it really forms a big part of this business that you've created. Like I said earlier, it's not just a fashion business, it's fashion with purpose. And the yeah. topic we're going to talk about today is how, how you and your sister are using this social enterprise business model in Pakistan as mm -hmm. a tool to empower women and girls. And this is, again, as a result of your own experience and your own story. So shall we jump into that topic now then? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about um, the, the business model, because there are a lot of men as well and women generally who want to do good work. However, mm -hmm. it's, 
sometimes it may be difficult because you're trying to solve a, a, a social problem, but you need to balance that with profit. I mean, a social enterprise is not an NGO. It's also mm -hmm. a business and you've got to make a profit. So how, um, are, how have you and your sister developed your business model? Um, what exactly are you doing to, to generate income? Okay, so we have launched our brand, Shanans, uh, last year in March 2017 in three countries. Uh, Pakistan, of course, because that's the, the main um, hub. Uh, in Switzerland, because I live in Switzerland. And London, uh, because we have a huge community, not only of uh, Pakistanis, but also from different parts. And London is, is the fashion hub as well. So we have launched there according to as much as we could have uh, up till now. And uh, in doing so, we know that uh, in Pakistan or elsewhere or around the world, there are lots and millions of designers who are working on different concepts and they're bringing their, their creativity out. But in, in, our, in our business model, uh, trust me, we are not like working. In fact, it's a very funny thing. We did not even write a business model before we launched our project, before we talked to people. And we were, we were and it's, it's very it's strange, you can say, or you can say it's a funny thing. How didn't you have even a business model before you started doing something? Because we well, knew... It does. You just kind of figure it out as you go along. Exactly. <laughs> and people sometimes they ask us, uh, oh, so what, what is that? How many figures? Because I met someone uh, from the World Bank last time uh, at the W uh, Women Economic Forum in Davos. And he asked me, oh, so how much revenue do you, uh, do you incur? And I said, hmm, tell me one thing. What, how much work do you do for the woman in Pakistan first? And then I'm going to tell you what my are and he was stunned. he was looking at me so coming back to you know all those things it's really how to become a first of all being a social entrepreneur from Pakistan from from here is to really how to have um, you know a bigger goal and how to lead uh, as a leader in a, in a way that leadership is not about uh, only, you know, giving orders, but it's also how you act and, and the role model that people with you, they learn together. And uh, when we started, we didn't have an idea that it's going to become uh, like a, a, a social entrepreneur. Uh, we, will, we, will, uh, we will do something which is going to create an impact in the world, but we were not in the mindset of like, okay, so would we have this title of uh, social entrepreneur? what is that so we were learning about uh, how we are going to do that then I got connected with one of the beautiful platforms called EBBF I don't know if I've mentioned before somewhere but yes I mention it everywhere which is called ethical business building the future and that's uh, something which opened up my eyes of what am I doing? How am I connecting uh, with the, uh, because EPBF is a, is a global learning community, which explores towards uh, how to have a meaningful workplace and how to have sustainable economic systems for women or for men, because we live in the society to work, of course, together. And, and that helped me to open up my horizons. Like if I have uh, to have uh, uh, my enterprise, how, uh, how much values are, because it's more also towards having a spiritual enterprise, making, uh, making it towards uh, what is service in, in your business, what, uh, what is um, building capacity in your business. So all those values means a lot. So these are the tools that we have to build up a business model. Of course, the value propositions and this and that all comes in a business model and a canvas, which is very much for everyone. But how you can put the uniqueness in that that's what matters a lot why uh, we are taking so long is because we want to go deep rooted down so that when we go upright we no one can can shake us no one can try to uh, you know break us apart and and that's what we are working on more on 
how to contribute and how to build our capacity as sisters, as women, and whatever comes uh, the financial point of view and um, other things that comes into, into that uh, context would work accordingly. So we do have people, um, I would say very uh, generous friends who are uh, voluntarily helping us building up uh, our, our business model. We are remodifying a few things on that. But um, I would say that I, I didn't have enough knowledge of how to build up a company. But of course, I had a vision. I knew what I'm passionate about. But ooh, how I'm going to do it? Uh, I don't have a mentor. Then I, I tried to find the same uh, person um, who's, who has coached me over a year on the same platform, EBBF, uh, which is Ethical Business Building the Future. And, I, and there I uh, actually... Uh, I got connected with many people on board with who are still helping me generously and uh, giving me ideas and, and taking my project to a next level. And at the same time, when I talk about that, uh, we, uh, uh, this um, uh, social enterprise, I also say that we have a huge um, work behind, uh, behind this, uh, I would say, or under the same umbrella of educating or empowering girls of my community Mm -hmm. When I say of my community means, of course, um, I'm a girl, I grew up in the community, so I feel responsible to give back to the community, but not only where I come from, also building my capacity to uh, enlarge and go, I don't know, into, into Africa, Kenya, there, there are different, there's so much work to do around the world, but I want to start from where I, uh, where I came from, which makes sense as well. So um, what I'm doing now from the education point of view is I'm um, on a very personal basis, I'm giving a, a Montessori trainings to young girls from these slum areas, from the villages, where they are going to have the possibility to learn using the Montessori material, which is a very concrete way of learning how to help a child become autonomous. Uh, and it's a huge, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful pedagogy, which I don't want to go too much in detail because of the time. But um, uh, I am ready to share whatever knowledge someone would like to have on that. And having that, um, uh, but I know that I don't have enough means to uh, buy all the material. So all the schools in 15 or 16 years of time living in Geneva, I've worked in different schools that have contacts from different, I would say more than like two, 3,000 children. And I'm, I'm just talking to them on my personal basis that this is what I'm doing. Would you like to support me in any way you can, even just giving the old clothes from their children so that I can even just take some, some clothes for them to wear. They don't have uh, uniforms. Is for them, it's out of question because they don't even have these proper shoes to wear to even come to school. So, um, I'm going to go there concretely uh, to give you the concrete example. I've been there uh, last couple of years, two years, and uh, now I'm going in October uh, for two months, uh, sorry, two weeks to uh, train them and you make them use of the proper material just as much as they can do according to their capacity. Uh, within the time period I have and if I see that they are trying to connect with the material because it's not something you can learn it's a one year of training and I can't do it in two weeks but I want to see if they're connecting to something what I'm saying at their level because uh, and that would help me to bring this project back here and talk to the people uh, uh, from the same Montessori background or, or teachers and trainers and to say what possibilities we can have for girls in there and how you can train them on board because they are not allowed to leave the community. They have to stay there because they have to cover themselves and different other, uh, other uh, reasons um, they can't do it. So uh, 
while doing so, uh, the girls were aged between uh, 17, 18, 19. And I can share the video accordingly as well later on. And then the, they come from a family where uh, mothers are just doing household chores as well. And they don't have enough means to put their children into school. But uh, we, we really, we, are, we aspire to raise children with moral values, first of all. So that's why we consult with the parents as well, saying that why education is important and what is what it is going to bring to them in a later run and how we can engage the youth of the same community because th these are the people or the children I would say being exposed to drugs and 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 um, uh, and, and stealing stuff and all those bad things that can bring them a little money at home to eat every evening and in order to do so it's so difficult to make them understand that if you do that, later on, you can have a better livelihood rather than just, you know, uh, putting your hand in front of everyone or begging. So just uh, by doing so, there are a number of children that are in the school right now, which I can share in photos later, has increased to like 80 and 90. And it's a big possibility to have even more children in the coming year, because now, after doing a lot of work with my team in Pakistan, it's uh, we have come this far that I can now go and uh, and live with them and train them because my for my own security it's very difficult to go in, uh, to into these uh, slum areas and, uh, and uh, in, in the clothes that uh, we wear in the in the Western world so I have to really dress up as as a Pakistani girl with a dubatta on my head and all to cover myself and to go there but because I know why why I want to do that helps the moms. Uh, to come into the, um, I'm going to go a little slow in that. The girls who are getting the, the, the training, their moms are going to get the, the sewing or the stitching uh, training for my sister. It's living in the same um, village so that they don't have to come out. So we are trying to have enough um, uh, means to buy some stitching machines so that they can actually do it there and it will be artisanal. It will be like created by them and it will we will bring their name out in the in the, in in the world, of course, where we have uh, we are selling. Um, so the idea is like that: how to really combine both, and to see if those girls would like to later on become uh, come into the fashion world, or maybe just uh, uh, work as a community of teachers and helping children. So it is something that we are working on, and we need ideas definitely. We need some guidance and support as well that how you should manage uh, all those things with a team of people we have as well. So we are not really yet there where we want to be, but some people even gave me an idea that why are you doing so much for education? You know that when you have to work on your fashion business because you need to earn enough revenues in order to do, in order to support your, um, your education project. And for me, somewhere in my heart is no, I have to do both together. I have to bring it in a way that so that the, the girls who are growing up there, they can see that I have the possibility to either choose education or to choose stitching or I can go somewhere else. I can explore my, my creativity. So it is, I mean, it's very personal. And maybe, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, of course, I work from my heart. I take huge risks in my life. I've taken like big, big risks that my husband says that I don't know how you have done it. But um, I think as a woman, it's... Uh, a, um, coming from that culture it, it will be uh, I'm not saying only that culture but I think in the in the developing country it's really hard for a girl to take that bold step and say that uh, you can do something without having a single penny in your pocket I didn't have enough means 
I didn't have enough, I mean, say investment. Uh, no one was there to support me except that my husband, he lent us um, $5,000, uh, which I will return to him. But at the same time, we both worked at both ends. He was working in a fashion industry. I was working in, in education and we saved a little bit of amount of money and we launched our project. And we said, that's how we move on. And on the go, on the go, we were like selling, we were, we were talking to people and uh, we ended up uh, during the London Fashion Week House of Icons uh, last year in October in our first year of, let's say, uh, uh, of launching our project. So it's, it's something which is so, you know, and it, it gives me so much of joy at night when I sleep that I'm doing something meaningful. I'm connecting one woman to another and I'm, uh, Actually, this uh, this thing is, which I'm not, um, I, which I do not share it everywhere. But um, I think it's important for all women to know as well that we we as two sisters we come from a from a very um, bold parents, but yet. Uh, it was very important for my sister to feel empowered first. And that helped because she, I, I was living here. I had the means to support her uh, financially to, to just take a start in her, in her career. And then uh, she felt confident. And I said, you don't have to care about anyone. I am with you. And you don't worry. Your sister is with you. That gave her an immense confidence in herself and her self-esteem that no matter what happens, my, my husband and my sister is with me, are with me. So that helped, you know, so the empowerment started from our own living room, actually. And then now we know why are we want to do it for others. And it gives me goosebumps when I say that um, even now we're struggling uh, sometimes financially. And we say that maybe uh, we, we bang our heads as well. Like, why are we doing this? So many challenges people are pulling down. They are putting in, instilling so much of negativity in our minds, in our business. And even sometimes uh, we get the, the feedback from our husbands as well that, what are you doing? You are, well, we just keep our, our ears closed and we're moving forward. Like okay. to say. I just, I want to read out very quickly some, some, some of the statistics on social enterprises so people can get an idea. Because I think there may be people listening in who, again, don't quite understand the dynamics of social enterprises. So yes. from the British Council. So there apparently, um, at the time of this publication being printed, it looks like it was in 2013, there are about mm -hmm. 210 million social entrepreneurs, and they're mm -hmm. all developing and trying different approaches to solve the world's social and environmental challenges, okay? Yes. Um, in a country like India, there is about 33% of entrepreneurs in India are social, um, social entrepreneurs. And in countries like, let's see, in Brazil, in terms of women, it looks like 43% of women are in the, in the workforce in Brazil, but 55% of those women are working in social enterprises. It says here in your country, in Pakistan, it says 22% of women are in the workforce and 37% of those women are in social enterprises. So what social enterprises do for women um, in terms of empowerment is that it, it allows them to contribute to to society and to the, the economy because of the way they're structured and because of the problems that, um, that they are solving. So I thought it was really interesting for us to understand that in terms of social enterprises and gender in developing um, countries. It says in the UK, 46% of women um, are employed in overall workforce and 66% of them are in the social enterprise workforce. So the social enterprise um, space seems to be really dominated by women. Yes. 
<laughs> and some of the women that you're helping in your social enterprises, they, your enterprise tend to be victims of domestic violence. Um, yeah. You have a lot of stay-at-home moms who you said are in the slum areas and are in, are in the villages. Talk mm -hmm. to us a little bit about how do you deal with the men? Because this is obviously a male-dominated society. Extremely yeah. patriarchal. I mean, the whole of the world is patriarchal, right? We know that. But mm -hmm. some societies more so than others. Pakistan being one of those. So how do you deal with the men? What do you say to the men? Are you kind of, are you lying to them? Are you playing a bit of a game? How do you get these men on board? Because they're in control. And if it's yeah. a very, if it's, if it's a situation whereby they don't want the women working or they don't, they don't want the woman out of the home too much. How do you get buy-in from them to get them to, to, to get these women uh, involved in, in your projects and to help them to understand that it's okay for these women to be educated and it's okay for them to, to be involved in something outside of being a wife and a mom and raising kids and cooking food and all of that stuff. How do you deal with that? What's your approach? Because I think, again, there are other people who, who want to understand and, and might want to do the same thing. Yes, indeed. Um, I would say uh, I, I'll take the example of my own uh, family because, of course, even I said I, I grew up uh, with a very strong mindset people, uh, parents, but at the same time, I was living in an environment, of course, controlled by my uncles and my grandfather and everything, yeah. uh, which uh, I know that none of my aunts, uh, or even including my mom, never ever worked outside their, their house I mean, in our, where we, we lived. And uh, keeping that in mind, I would say that when I, uh, uh, I mean, just to just to give an idea that of course my father knew when I when we both launched this thing that he knew that these girls were going to do something, but he also knew that he's going they are going to face challenges from the men around them. When we go for anything uh, for uh, for a, for a foundation work or legal rights or uh, also like uh, just for the driving license, I would say it's. Everywhere you have to either bribe them, give them some money so that your work is done and your file comes up. And if it comes to uh, registering your, I'll take an example of registering my company. So luckily we found someone uh, through a very good friend of ours who gave a contact to uh, of a lawyer who did the work with a, a, at a at a pace that we knew that we are not going through a wrong channel and everything is done, uh, uh, you know, within the, uh, the framework that we want. But in Pakistan, like everything, of course, I want to bring the good picture of Pakistan everywhere in the world but at the same time we have a lot to work on in terms of how male or how the men uh, they treat women especially they think that we are first of all we are as objects they can use us anytime they want and at the same time they think that oh what are these women going to do they are like you know uh, good for nothing kind of thing but now as they know the 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 growth the economic growth even in Pakistan is 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 huge now many women are coming into coming forward uh, in different sectors uh, which makes them feel a little bit shaken as well i would say thinking that oh if a woman is going to come out we will lose our power and that thing is uh, sometimes in certain families uh, they put more pressure on the on the uh, uh, on their wives as well if they have not cooked well if they have uh, if they're not taking care of children or their family or their parents or anything because they, they think so Somewhere or the other, the insecurities they have, they're going to lose their power. And 
And now many uh, women, they, they are becoming conscious of the fact that if something happens to us, we can go to this uh, uh, foundation or we can take help uh, from uh, the, uh, the, uh, the woman, um, uh, how to say, the woman association where we can seek some help. But very, very few, I would say, because they are handcuffed, they are being you know, um, in their minds, they are chained uh, with the, the social norms and that, you know, if a woman would go out, people would bring bad name to her. If a woman cannot bear a child, she will have a bad name from a family, even though they know that it's not the fault of a woman. It's, uh, you know, it comes from a man. But at the same time, I think uh, the pressure is, is becoming a bit low, but not that much because women are coming forward uh, at, at, at a greater space. Um, but um, when we work with men, uh, we have a team of 10 males and uh, two or three uh, um, girls, uh, women, including us five. So the ratio is not exactly um, equal. And we are working towards making it a fine balance, uh, having uh, of gender equality at our workplace and justice for both of them and equal pay for both of them, not because she's a woman or a man, it has to be equal. So equal pay rights as well, it's, uh, it's one of our values of our company. But at the same time, we see the looks they give to the girls uh, or the women who work with us, thinking that uh, she doesn't know or she's, uh, she, uh, what she's going to do uh, and, and try to instigate each and every one in the... In the you have men on your team? Is that what you're saying? You yes, have we, have, we have few men in our team as well because we want to have, uh, we want to help we want uh, actually the men uh, we are bringing them to train the girls as well giving them the notion that you have certain skill that you can use to help others rather than that you have a skill and you're more powerful than others so uh, how we can be like we have learned from them a lot and we when we do in order to do that what we do is we we design uh, my sister she designs a piece of um, of uh, a, 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 for example a skirt or any dress and we put that uh, piece on the the table and we tell we put everyone together and we say okay this is it what do you think uh, uh, is fine with that do you think we can do this or that and that gives them value as well that she's asking us uh, what we can do and at the same time they say oh uh, madam maybe we can do this or maybe we can and we take their ideas and we say now it's your creativity and while doing so the girls who are actually the trainees the the, the internees uh, they get ideas as well that they are sharing but they're learning at the same time. How is it possible? Is because we as, as founders, or we can call it company owners, we, I don't call myself as a company owner until unless my whole team is, is getting the, um, the notion of that we are together. We work together, we grow together. And keeping that in mind, they say that they are not our bosses who are hammering on our head. We are learning together. And that makes us, uh, our environment, so so peaceful. And yes, there are people who tell them that we're going to give you more money. You come and work with us. But they say, no, we're going to stay here. There was one week of time where we were unable to pay their salary because of we, we didn't have enough uh, sales at those period. But they knew that our, our team needs to be intact because they work with our vision. They work with what we are doing, not only that we have to make clothes and get money at the end of the week. So 
they waited patiently. And of course, uh, you know, uh, we paid them. We apologize for the delay as well to giving them because we know how it works in the fashion industry in Pakistan. They say you are our slaves and they, they treat them as slaves. That's the reason they don't want to go back to the other uh, cities or other um, uh, institutions of fashion uh, fashion companies and all um, and we, uh, we we are not even part of different um, uh, uh, fashion hubs of uh, Pakistan as well because we know the mindset of how men work I know the person who is running behind us now to be into the fashion week of London and blah 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 he belongs to Pakistan I cannot disclose his name and he was the one who threw on my sister's face her designs telling her that what can you do in two days you cannot bring this up and that thing up so my sister with her team worked day and night to prove her, prove him wrong. And then I, it's, it gives me really goosebumps, girls, whoever is listening to me, is uh, he put her, he put my sister on the top first number saying that your designs are the best. He's the guy who's running after us saying that, uh, would you like to be in this fashion week and all? But we don't want to work with the person who do not understand, of course, the woman values and how to respect others. And, uh, and, and, and to tell you the truth, it's, it's something that is very important when you are when really launching something. We are desperate to really want money. We want to earn more and, and all those things. But stick to your values and stick to your ethics and your ethos and, and whatsoever you can call them because this is what we need to change um, now in the business world so um, yeah okay so I just want to elaborate to those listening in that how does think about this for a minute how does your social enterprise help empower women and girls there are various ways by providing education which is one thing that Shanans is is doing you you spoke about that Anila um, there's also counseling through counseling through support through advice um, by providing health care by helping to develop skills which is something that you're busy you and your sister are doing with um, Shanans because a lot of these women may be coming in to helping to sew the designs and work with the material and so on by creating jobs there are you creating jobs that help women are you creating jobs that help girls um, yes girls should be in school but sometimes they aren't sometimes they're working unfortunately um, are you campaigning are you giving women a voice in their community are you helping them for example in the west um, you don't really find too much of this in a developing world because you have big extended families but in the west you have issues with childcare. a lot of women struggle with childcare. so are you providing affordable childcare? there's also um, mm -hmm. violence domestic violence human trafficking I mean there's so many issues um, revolving around women both west east north and south so think about how your social enterprise what specifically the problem is it that it's solving and how is it empowering women and girls and how are you using your social enterprise as a tool to do so so just to wrap up um, I want you to perhaps give us um, some words of encouragement or some some advice on 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 developing something like this from scratch because obviously you're still working through yours you're still building up yours there's quite a lot of challenges but I know you and your sister are determined so from your experience what would you like to share with us I would just say that uh, never stop dreaming work hard to make your dream come through yeah and never give up yeah. That's one quotation that I really take with me from the very beginning is believe in yourself and all that you are, knowing that there is something inside you that's greater than any obstacle. It's by Christian D. Larson. And this is where I started uh, myself. So wh 
whoever needs any kind of any help or any support or whatever advice, um, always we are always there to support as many women from anywhere, from any background, from any culture, from any religion. Yeah. Never ever stop dreaming. And if you have a dream, if first of all dare to dream, if you have a dream, make it come true. Yeah, definitely. So tell us now, where can we find you? Uh, your website, your social media, your contact details for anyone um, interested in reaching out to you and speaking with you. Where can they find you? Uh, they can find me very well everywhere on the social media mm-hmm. and on my Facebook. Uh, I have a Shanann's Facebook. I have my personal Facebook as well by the name of Anila Hussain and uh, Shanann's, which is a business page. Mm-hmm. Then I have LinkedIn. Um, um, Twitter, um, Instagram, of course, uh, Google Plus. So I use different kinds of uh, means where I post inspirational things as well and also what's coming in our business. Uh, on our website, they can also see our collection and things what we are doing, which is uh, www.shanans.com. And um, um, on my personal email, I can, I can send you and you can maybe share with them my personal number, whatever is I can do to to help of course and I think that's really good advice because um one thing I know about you is that you're very passionate about your work because it's it's personal to you and I think sometimes when we're very very passionate it can get us into trouble I mean I've gotten myself into trouble because of my passion because I think people misunderstand it because they don't they don't know me and they don't get it and I think when you're building like you and your sister are when you're building something that you're very passionate about I think it's really important to always remind yourself of your values and why you're doing it and why you started. And it's so, it's so relevant to you, your experience and your culture. And I think that makes it so much more powerful and, you know, getting up every day, knowing that you're working towards something that's much bigger than yourself. I think that's, that's really special. So thank you for everything that you're doing. And um, there's always challenges, but I know you guys are going to figure it out as you go along. (laughs) Thank you so much, Joanne. Thank yeah. You. So um, I know you're interested in collaboration. So would you like to share with our listeners, maybe are you looking to collaborate with anyone in particular? Um, are you looking to partner with anyone in particular? Do you need help? Do you need interns? Do you need mentors? Like what exactly do you need? And how can our um, community help you so that they can reach out to you? Brilliant. That's a very good question. (laughs) We all need help. Yes. We all need help. We all need to collaborate. And this word collaboration means a lot to me because people have collaborated with me and it's also how I have uh, taken a step forward. So definitely I'm with my hands, my foot, my body all in to, um, to give my support uh, in any way I can. Uh, is it for grooming? Is it for building confidence or anything in, in any way I can? And also I can, um, um, I mean, of course, through the styling workshops, but at the same time, I think it's um, um, your, your, your second question was how I can, um, um, sorry, if you can repeat this last part again, please. I always give every um, interview interviewee an opportunity to share what they need because you never know who's listening. You know, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Someone said to me that they've reached out to someone and they got a mentor out of it. So, if there's anything yeah. that you need help or support with, or maybe a collaboration, you're looking to partner yes. with someone, share with yeah. us now. And then, if someone's listening and they're interested, they can reach out to you. Um, I'm looking, yeah, definitely we're looking for uh, some marketing experts uh, who can bring our uh, um, brand into Europe, Middle East, uh, 
or South Asia and um, into North America. So these are, this is one thing that we need uh, either freelancers or uh, uh, some internees who are developing their, their skills into digital marketing. So that's one thing. And uh, apart from that, we are working on the content marketing. So collaboration, if I say that uh, if uh, someone have uh, some accessories, uh, fashion accessories, or those who are making some bags, or something that we can combine with our uh, thing, uh, we can talk about it. And of course, I've collaborated during the London Fashion Week with someone who made uh, Swiss uh, souvenirs, and I took their products there, and it combined very well with our theme. So I, it gave them publicity, and uh, we, we got someone on board as a woman who, who was just starting her project. So I mean, even if I'm going to, I don't know Paris Fashion Week or just doing a little pop-up in Geneva I'm ready to support um, I mean with, with uh, anything even just putting your cards or but in a way that actually which makes more sense to you how um, how we can help each other as well and how my business can help uh, you grow as well so I'm, I'm uh, we do accessories definitely just to enhance it uh, not only the bespoke clothes or uh, custom-made but also we do uh, scarves and we are coming into bags and, uh, of course, um, shoes, um, different things coming up. But um, I'm open to all, uh, all to all propositions. Definitely. And I think, you know what I think would be cool? If you were to collaborate with someone who's doing something very similar in another part of the world and you could kind of, you could uh, cross-pollinate, as, as it's called, and you can share ideas and maybe you can get those women to work with each other because, you know, this, I think that's the future, this kind yes. of collaboration across, across countries, across continents, across cultures, because despite all the barriers that we put up around ourselves, oh, we're different, our language is different, our color is different, our this is, religion is different. At the core, there's a human experience and you can't negate that human experience is what that, that bond, you know, that connects us. And if there's someone in Haiti or Trinidad who is doing weaving with poor women in the village and designing, you know, really beautiful things, why can't she sell, work with you to sell them and partner with you and, and vice versa, you know? So just an example of the kind of things that can happen across, across the spectrum. So just to, just to maybe uh, mention that, that I was very much, uh, uh, I was part of the She Trades Liverpool uh, recently. And mm -hmm. She Trades a platform is for all those women who would like to um, um, be empowered and coming into trade or those who, ever, who, those who are not even into trade, but like to be part of the community and, and, and a global outreach. So this is something which has given me a lot of uh, exposure. And now I'm working with someone in Kenya and also in, um, in Lagos where I'm going to uh, uh, sell my silk scarf. So this is, uh, this is one thing that happened very recently, and I'm very happy that because of that, I'm, I'm connected into the African community as well. That's wonderful. That is amazing. Yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, connections as well, like there are cultural similarities between uh, various different cultures and communities in Africa, as well as in India and Pakistan yeah. and China. You realize that there's, there's a lot of similarities there. And some of those women are also dealing with the same issues with the men who don't want them to do this and who don't want them to do that. So it's yeah. nice to see that you're, you're getting into those markets. Lagos, Nigeria is a nice market to be in, no? Yeah. A big market. Yes. Market so good for you. Okay, well, great. So thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for, for 
telling us your story, sharing us, uh, sharing your story with us, for sharing with us um, the building of your social enterprise. And it would be great to have you back on later on once things have developed a bit more and tell us how you've grown and what you're doing. And we hope that um, our audience have learned something today, gleaned something. And please reach out to Anila and her sister and offer any support or vice versa that you can. And until next time, bye for now. Thank you. Bye.